Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to Screen Heroes on the Heroes Podcast Network. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Screen Heroes, the movie and TV podcast on the Heroes Podcast Network. I am Derek, your regular host, and I have with me my two lovely hosts, Ryan. Hello. And Ray. What's up? And we are here yet again with episode 209 to celebrate 20 years of the first live action X-Men movie, X-Men. And um, so before we do that, of course, we will talk about the latest news in the entertainment world as we do. Um, I'm just I'm going to start with the serious topics and then we'll move into the fun stuff. Um, last week, we talked a bit about how 30 Rock was removing some of their episodes. Well, all of their episodes that included uh, use of blackface. Um, and we talked a bit about that. And I think it is only fair to also uh, call out any other shows that are doing the same thing for multiple reasons. First off, it may come as a surprise to some people that these shows include that type of content to begin with. Um, so shows that have, have altered their streaming lineup include The Office, which has actually just removed the scene that includes Blackface from an episode titled Dwight's Christmas. Uh, so that has officially been removed from uh, streaming services. If you're a fan of The Office, that's the Belschnickel episode. There you go. Dwight dresses up like a Belschnickel, and yeah, there's a very racist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is, that's still a popular uh, tradition in Scandinavia. Really? Yeah, the countries that celebrate Belschnickel, they have like, isn't it called Black Tom? Yeah, that's part of, it's part of the tradition, apparently. Yeah. uh, That's what they were you know it shows the character coming in in this blackface and then he gets a call and then he turns around and leaves before he enters that's the entirety of the joke but it's enough so Mm -hmm. uh it it is a racist stereotype over there it's not like they got it from some other like source and the rest of the world has been asking them to stop for a long time so just just google Christmas blackface Scandinavia and it's it, like people citizens will pile in the streets with it and it just looks nope. it's it's horrible um so the medical sitcom Scrubs is doing something similar they actually had three instances 
of jokes pertaining to uh, that included blackface and all three episodes have officially been pulled from Hulu, which is currently the, the only service that provides it for streaming uh, for free anyway, or well, as part of the service, not as like a rental. Um, and Bill Lawrence, the creator of the show, uh, you know, was, was completely behind that and joined uh, Zach Braff and Donald Faison, the, the two kind of leads of of Scrubs. They have a podcast, the two of them, called uh, what is it? Fake Doctors, Real Friends. And in their latest episode or one of their episodes this week, they brought on Bill Lawrence and they talked about specifically these episodes and removing these episodes. And so if you're in- curious about uh, what those were, uh, or why, you know, with the thought processes that went into all of that, you could check out that episode, uh, to learn more about that. So both of those shows have gone that route. Um, in a similar vein, a lot of actors who are, uh, white have voice actors have stepped away or stepped down from voicing characters that are not white. Um, this includes, the actor who voices Cleveland from uh, Family Guy and characters from uh, BoJack Horseman and, and several other shows have decided to, to step down um, because they're voicing non-white characters as white actors. So this is something that's certainly picked up some steam recently, and uh, it's a it's an interesting trend. I know that it's it's never easy for an actor to, to turn down a role or step away from a role, so I, I appreciate the people that are willing to do that. Um, for the sake of you know doing the the right thing and leaving these roles open to people of the appropriate cultural background um any thoughts on any of that guys anything i I missed that's worth mentioning um the only thing that i completely disagree with is hulu pulling the golden girls episodes where they're wearing mud masks because it's very obvious they're wearing mud masks and it's not blackface but everything else i'm I'm on board with these people. Uh, they can't end racism. They can't defund the police themselves. So they're doing what they can do in their own way. I mean, they're doing a whole this for the right reasons. So yeah, even if they removed the mud face episodes or whatever of the Golden mm-hmm. Girls, I mean, it's it, they, they're trying to do the right thing. So right. you know, the least that I can do is support that and. I hope other companies, I mean, I can't think of any shows that I've watched that have more blackface in them. I mean, Scrubs and uh, and The Office were the big ones. Parks and Rec didn't really have anything like that because it came later when that's, I mean, not that it was really super acceptable when The Office was on either, but. Or, or Scrubs for that matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's, they're doing the right thing. So kudos to the companies that are doing that. And along that vein, so Terry Crews announced that Brooklyn Nine-Nine has thrown out all four completed scripts for uh, next season's episodes, and they are starting over from scratch. Um, What exactly that means as far as narrative changes and and things of that nature, we can't say yet, but they are going to adjust the direction of the show for next season based on things that have been going on. to kind of quote him here that he was on access Hollywood. And he said, we've had a lot of somber talks about it in deep conversations. And we hope through this, we're going to make something that will truly, that will be truly groundbreaking this year. We have an opportunity and we plan to use it in the best way possible. So, um, Oh, sorry. It it continues. Our showrunner, Dan Gore, they had four episodes all ready to go and they just threw them in the trash. We have to start over right now. We don't know which direction it's going to go in. So 
you know, it's a big deal to throw out episodes, especially four of them, as I'm sure f- filming was supposed to start fairly soon. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this is a big deal. A lot of people have talked about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and they've had some content in the past uh, that focused on areas like this and have you know characters that show the positive things that the police force could do and the problems still within the police force. So they have a good opportunity to, um, to create a powerful narrative. Yeah. I I think, uh, it's pretty great for them to do that. And, uh, they handled the more serious topics that they tackled on the show in a really respectful way. So, um, particularly the one that pops to mind is the one where Terry's characters, Terry's character, Terry has to deal with, uh, another cop pulling him over or stopping him because he's black basically and no other real reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. It takes place. So Terry's walking around his own neighborhood looking for one of his daughter's toys that fell out of the car. Um, and, uh, an, another officer stops him. The officer do- doesn't know that Terry is a cop and that becomes a point later. Cause the cop apologizes to Terry saying that he never would have done it if he had known Terry was a cop. And Terry's point being, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter if he's a cop or not. I apologize about the dog barking. Um, I'm not sure what she's yelling at. I may have to take a break and put her away. Um, okay. So anyway, that's what that episode is about. So they, they covered that. And it was, there were some really powerful scenes in it, especially between uh, Terry and, and Captain Holt. So, so just out of curiosity, a lot of people are split on, well, the audiences seem to be split on things like this. Do you think shows that are based in uh, current reality, but also are still fictional, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like Superstore, have a obligation to deal with real world situations like COVID, like uh, Black Lives Matter protests? Or do you think they should just remain for entertainment only? I think that it is a more of a question of what kind of show they want to be. Um, a lot of people like to use the, the entertainment excuse for why shows and actors should keep their mouths shut about anything that matters. But entertainment has been used for its entire existence to prove points and to show examples of what is bad and what is good in the world. This goes way back to, to the classics uh, of TV. It's something that star Trek has always done, for example, and a show doesn't have to reflect the real world. It doesn't, it can ignore all of that if it wants to, but if a show wants to go to a different level and be a critique on society or the human condition then it becomes something different it can be more important it can be more significant than just a sitcom and if shows like brooklyn 99 or superstore want to tackle those things because they want to be more then great i'm there for it yeah it's a tough call because i do watch those shows to kind of escape from the really sad reality that we all live in so you know as much as I love when a show can respectfully tackle themes like that, uh, you know, I have to look at my Facebook. I don't have to look at my Facebook feed all day, but we all do. Right. And so, you know, that's pretty much all we see in our Facebook feed and all we hear about it around the water cooler at work and all we hear when we go to our family. So 
you know, it, it is nice to have a show where you can just go, okay, I'm just going to watch the show. It's not going to be dealing with these topics for half an hour or an hour or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I can understand why it would be mixed. Um, but, you know, if they want to tackle it, then, then more power to them. I just, for, for me as an audience member, it gets a little tiring after a while if that's literally everything that happens in my life is circled around, you know, the same things and I don't ever get that escape. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I was just curious about your all opinions. There's not a right or wrong answer here or anything that I'm looking for. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that sometimes it can be forced, but when you have a show like Brooklyn nine, nine, where all of the main characters are cops, um, especially at this point with, with Gina, no longer a regular cast member, um, to, you know, I think that they have a unique opportunity to show a positive example of what police officers can be. And at the same time, you know, a, a, a show like Superstore can can also show how a company could treat its employees better and create a more positive environment for everybody or how well, customers could just not treat retail people in a horrible way. Well, um, specifically, Superstore ended their season four with an ice episode mateo being taken away by ice because he's not a legal citizen and i was very impressed with the episode it was incredibly sad and heartbreaking but by episode four or five of season five everything was undone and it, it was back to normal so you know i i thought it was uh, a wonderful way to end uh, a long buildup over the past four seasons. But I also felt that uh, in obviously in real life, we things aren't undone so easily. Yeah. Uh, and that's one thing I do worry about, like the Brooklyn Nine-Nine thing is, you know, maybe this arc is only going to last two episodes or something. And the reality is we're all going to be going through this for a long time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's the danger of a sitcom, right? You got, you start to lose viewers if you just have a bunch of serious episodes for, you know, that's not what a sitcom is in general. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's fair. And at the end of the day, it is still television and things don't always Uh, get the attention that they necessarily deserve even when it's not a serious topic you know like we talked about way back when cw's the flash did flashpoint and the whole thing lasted for like two episodes or three episodes um you know sometimes shows just rush through stuff and when it's serious they sometimes do so even more to get back to you know the fun so to speak so I'll, i'll be curious to see what happens um a show like Brooklyn nine, nine has tackled some serious issues over its, over its run and had some threads continue through that. It might be interesting to see if they decide to take it a slightly different direction. I don't know. Um, anything else on that topic before we move on? No, I feel like we've been on this one for a little bit and okay. just like TV shows or happier news segments sure. out there. Uh, so let's let's move on then. Um, so speaking of DC, uh, so DC Universe, <laughs> which is still going, uh, has added an HBO Max upgrade option for its yearly subscribers. So you have to have the the year membership, not the month to month, 
but you can get uh, HBO Max for an extra $4.99 a month, which is kind of interesting. So this, of course, makes it seem more... I, I don't know. Do you guys think this is a sign that they want to keep DCU around longer, or do you think this is a sign that it's coming to an end? I think they're porting people over, to be honest. Yeah, they're sure. I mean, does that make the total price less than HBO Max would be? It by does. Itself? It so does. what they're trying to do is uh, keep it around longer because now people are going to subscribe, subscribe to DC Universe just so that they can get HBO Max for cheaper. And that's why I'm not sure. I think you both have like really good points. And so I, I don't know because it is cheaper. But at the same time, it is a good way to get people to your new service. Um, they did announce that the Harlequin animated cartoon will be moving to HBO Max. At least the first two seasons will be moving to HBO Max. The third season hasn't officially been, been greenlit yet. I'll be surprised if it's not. Um, and so that's already moving. Doom Patrol has already moved. And so I think it's just a matter of time. The rest and of it. small point about Doom Patrol, I brought mm-hmm. this up in our chat, is that it shows up in the intro credits now. It said a DC Universe exclusive for season, season one, but now it says uh, exclusively on Max or something along those lines. So A, a Max original. Ma- a Max original, that's what it yeah. was, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, other shows have done stuff like that, right? Like there's been shows that got moved to Netflix or Hulu and they put, you know, Hulu original, even though the, the previous seasons weren't from that. I don't think we know what the word original means anymore, but um, <laughs> at least in this case, it's the same company, you know? Um, but that's, that's interesting. Uh, so yeah, so that's happening. And then in the, at the same time, Disney plus is getting a load more new content from the Marvel worlds, which includes the X-Men films. So, uh, several movies, including, uh, the X-Men movies and the fantastic four reboot will be joining Disney plus, but not all at once. They're going to be released on basically a weekly basis, um, over the course of four installments, I guess, uh, the first movie will actually be. You guessed it, Days of Future Past, for some reason, on July 10th. Uh, That will be the first one that will come to Disney Plus on on July 10th. And then on the 17th, you get Apocalypse. You have to wait all the way until August 7th. Apocalypse anywhere. Well, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's fair. You need to burn that. The movie we're talking about tonight, the 2000 X-Men, doesn't hit Disney Plus until August 7th. And right now is available on HBO Max. So the world makes perfect sense. Is this a transition? Is that what you're doing? Or are you transitioning? <laughs> I I was trying to. Yeah. How'd I, how'd I do? Not Pretty. great. If you hear a bunch of <laughs> click clacks, you podcast listeners, it's because we have live chat going on in, uh, during our live stream in the group. So, and, I, and I'm chatting away with people while Derek's uh, long-winded speeches go on. So uh, <laughs> make sure you uh, tune in and uh, talk to us in the live stream. Join. It's only available in the group, so you have to join the group. But... It's uh, good times. I'm quick to respond. So, that's right. All right. Uh, So let's go ahead and take our short break, and then we will come back and we will discuss the first live action X Men movie. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over forty. They can all be connected. 
Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, so we are back to talk X-Men. The 2000 X-Men movie released July 14th in the year 2000. Grossed just under $300 million worldwide, which actually makes it the second least successful X-Men movie. Uh, The only movie that did worse is actually Dark Phoenix. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> which which I think is fair. I think that's fair. The movie had a reported $75 million budget, um, which for the time was, was pretty good. Uh, just kind of comparing a little bit three years later is when X2 came out, and X2 got a $125 million budget and brought in a little over $100 million more at the box office. Uh, f- just to kind of keep things in perspective, I like perspective. I think it's important. The other Marvel movies that existed at this time were really kind of just blade. Uh, you'd have to go back to like the eighties Punisher. Yeah. And Howard the duck, you know, um, because Spider-Man didn't come out till 2002 daredevil and Hulk were 2003. Um, and even the fantastic four was 2005 in on the other side of the aisle in the DC world. Yeah. You had the first four Batman movies, yeah, that everyone talks about. Um, and that was basically it, too, on that side. You, know, you didn't have Batman Begins yet. We talked about that last week. That was 2005. And there was kind of a gap between Batman and Robin and uh, Catwoman, of all movies. A seven-year gap. Of all gap. movies. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about. Um, all right. Let's, let's kick things off here. Spoiler warnings for, for X-Men. Did this movie... Okay, first off, how long had it been since you watched the movie? A couple years, probably. Maybe more. Longer than that for me. I don't remember when the last time I watched this movie was. It could have been back... Well, probably wasn't when it was in theaters, but I mean, it's probably been at least... I don't know. I want to say 15 years. At least 10, for sure. Yeah, I would say mine's somewhere between seven and ten years uh, that I that I've last time I saw it as well. Um, how did it hold up for you guys? Was it was it what you remembered? Better, worse? <laughs> this is a podcast, so you do have to talk. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Oh my god, it's such a bad movie. 
so I didn't have the same experience. I didn't think it was so bad, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it was in in the age of MCU movies. Um, I think that's really changed what a good movie is, uh, or a good superhero movie is these days. Like, I think like even if you go back and watch Spider Man One or Spider Man Two, which Spider Man Two, I think all of us consider the best for sure live action Spider Man movie. Right, I, I think it is personally. Yeah. I do. Uh, I mean, even if you go back and rewatch that, I think a lot of that doesn't hold up as well as we might think it does, just because we're in this modern era of Marvel movies, and it's a different. There's a whole different style and a whole different everything that kind of comes into it now. And I think, I don't know. I remembered a lot of this movie, even having not seen it a long time, and it kind of stuck with me. It was very, from what I remember of the cartoon and the comics from when I was younger, it was very true to a lot of the characters, not all of them, but it, Wolverine felt more like Wolverine than he did in a lot of the other movies that came after this. Um, you know, and there were several characters that were that way. So I'm not going to get too into it right now, but I, I think it held up better than I expected it to, but there was a lot of it that was more cringy now, just because we've seen what Marvel can actually do. That's fair. Um, so, I, I am not overly familiar with X-Men outside of the movies. I watched very little of the 90s cartoon, and I'm not sure that I've ever read a comic, an X-Men comic specifically. Um, so other than, the, other than the live action films and some very short video game appearances by Wolverine, I know very little about the X-Men. So I'm curious, Ryan, when you say like, this this one this felt more like Wolverine than than a lot of his other appearances. What do you mean by that? I mean like he used his sense of smell, right? He you know, and then a lot of the other movies they kind of glance over the fact that he's, you know, his whole thing is that he was living in the wilds of Canada for a long time, and that he's a hunter kind of character that you know he can smell creatures coming. He can he's very animalistic, and I think this movie did a better job of. Uh, portraying that than some of the later ones in the same trilogy and even uh, even his solo movies I think I also liked although it kind of disappeared but like in the scene when he's a cage fighter Mm -hmm. and the guy's punching him and you hear metal clanging noises when he's punching him which realistically you wouldn't because you don't hear that when you like hit metal with wood or something you know what I mean it's like when it's metal on metal sure but um it reminds you that he has a metal skeleton. And of course, then 20 minutes later, Cyclops can just carry him off the trunk of a car that's getting ready to explode. And he's supposed to weigh like 700 pounds or something. But, um, you know, I think that there was in, in a lot of the characters, I thought that professor X was handled much better in this one than he was handled in a lot of the other movies. So I, I don't know, even, even Magneto felt more like the Magneto. I remember from, uh, my previous experiences with X-Men more so than he did later in the movies. I don't know, Rachel, you know more about X-Men than either of us. Is anything I'm saying making sense to you? A little bit. Yeah. So X-Men is definitely one of, uh, it's really the first fandom I belong to. I remember seeing the cartoon as a kid and really wanting to be Storm. She was aw- I-, I like Halle Berry's Storm, by the way. I thought all the effects around her looked really cool, and she looked really cool. Anyway, go on. Sorry. No, you're good. So there's a couple things that I really notice. Um, first and foremost, it's very apparent that Brian Singer did not allow 
X-Men comics on set. No, nobody was allowed to research their character. They all just kind of went off of their script and the description in their script. Uh, Patrick Stewart fucking killed it. Yeah, I think his personality is just very Professor X. It really is. And the thing is, um, Professor X is not this benevolent man in the comics. He's kind of a sleazeball. Uh, In the very first issue, he hits on Jean Grey and has lascivious thoughts about her. It, the very first issue of the entire comic he does in the in the cartoon he wasn't that way though was he it, he um, i haven't watched it in a no. long time but i feel like i remembered no. he was a nice guy he was a nice guy and his love interest was i believe lalandra the shiar so but this version of professor x is easily my favorite james mcavoy kind of brings back the uh, tough position, making bad choices for the right reasons, uh, kind of Professor X, something a little bit more true to the comics. But this guy is a legit hero and should be followed. You know, he's so protective of his students and of humans, and he's just incredibly benevolent. So that was great. Um, Something I also didn't notice, because this was probably one of my first times seeing Ian McKellen as an actor, is the man changed his complete uh, inflection in his voice. He doesn't talk like that normally uh, as like in real life. And he also didn't use that voice as Gandalf. So I was just really impressed. I didn't remember that. But now that I'm more familiar with his work. I I am so one thing that impressed me about him was uh his wire work was so like a lot of times when you see an actor do wire work you can tell it looks like super awkward when they're landing especially is a big one but that motherfucker he freaking like he would fly up and land and it would look seamless so smooth and I'm like wow that's impressive especially he's not a spring chicken in this movie I mean he's younger than he is now but he's still an older guy and you know i've seen younger guys than him that really struggle with the landings with wire work and he made it look super smooth i loved it i wonder if a lot of that is his background of stage work where it very well could be you know because you have to be very careful with the sets and when there when there's wire work involved in in a stage performance it's it's even you know more difficult because it's not all it well i'm sure maybe today it's changed but back when he was younger it wasn't all you know computerized and mechanical it was people with pulleys and levers you know um so maybe that's why he's so good at it the one that stood out to me the most was when he was like at the end and he goes it flies up a level on the statue of liberty and then lands on the walkway i mean it looked so good that's the one i was thinking of too and when you compare that to a few scenes before when uh, Wolverine was fighting Mystique, not all the wire work was as seamless. No, it was nowhere near. Yeah. Like the two of them had a much more intricate fight. And I'm not here to argue that they had an easier job than Ian McKellen just rising, but he did a better job with what he had. He made it look like he was actually flying when we all know he wasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean the the Mystique fight also throws in some of the movie's worst CGI. I'm not gonna say the worst necessarily, but you know, there's a backflip that she that Mystique does to get on top of a crate that's just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, Honestly, that whole fight was pretty awful. Most of the choreography in the movie was not the, the like fight choreography was not great. It was lots of cuts, like which you know I don't like if you listen to this a lot. But I mean, also. What happened to okay? So like when she's changed <laughs> to Wolverine, right? Yeah, and he chops her claws off. Oh, <laughs> I it, did she like why would why didn't she like lose some fingers or something? Like what what part of her body did he just chop off and then she was fine? I feel and so able vindicated. To grow back. <laughs> yes, like Derek I know she totally has a healing factor, but she like gets stabbed later, and it doesn't heal immediately. So clearly, it's not like a super healing factor like Wolverine's. No, her healing factor works a lot slower. Now she does his. scream in pain. To be right, fair. but then nothing's missing when it comes. You know what I mean? When she turns into a blue person well, again, it's it's hard because like. You know, now again, I don't I don't know the original version of the character particularly well, but she shapeshifts so much in this movie, let alone all of the movies, that her size is not constant like at all. You know what I mean? And so like I don't really know what her form is and how big she can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's very. I mean they don't really go and try and set out to show you exactly what her uh, like limits are in this movie, but. You know, when she screams out in pain, it's that's it, pretty establishing that something just happened that was pretty bad, but then she turns back into her normal self, and, it, and it's fine. So, I don't know. That bothered me. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. I, it, it bothered me as well. And, you know, the fact that, like, okay, so, uh, so, so for some background, apparently, and Ray, you can provide more detail on this, there were these companion comics that explained that, that Toad and Sabretooth both die uh, in their injuries. Yeah, because it's very unclear. I noticed that like when I was younger and watched this, I, I thought Toad was lived. dead. Oh, really? No, I thought to- I thought Toad died. But and in this, when I watched this, he just got wa- struck by lightning and like sent flying a long ways. And in comic books, unless you see a body, the person right. isn't dead, right? That's a pretty big rule. Yeah, Brian Singer wrote compendiums after the first X Men and X Two for situations like that to explain why Sabretooth and Toad aren't in x2 and why a uh, nightcrawler isn't in uh x3 so so with that in mind uh but you know mystique doesn't die she gets stabbed like right in the gut and that does not heal by the time the security shows up because the guard that she turns into is still bloody you can still see the holes right. so she somehow survives getting stabbed in the gut and then I never thought about this before, but watching it this time, how do they just like keep Magneto sedated for an unknown amount of time until they built that plastic room for him? Probably, but it seems a little unnecessary. It's just so ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous thing for us to believe that they're like, okay, dude, you hold up right here. We're going to build this crazy, intricate plastic prison and you know, it'll be perfect for you. And also, stay there if, forever. If you go off the comic books, like that wouldn't have worked with Magneto in the comic books. He's super powerful in the comic books. I'm pretty sure he's like changed the rotation of the earth at some point by messing with the earth's core mm-hmm. that's made of metal. So like he can do insane stuff in the comic books. So I know, I guess they nerfed him in this, but 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they do and they don't because he does escape, and the way he escapes in X2 is pretty cool. It is. Um, and in in Apocalypse, as much as I dislike that movie, that Magneto does pull, like, metal out of the earth in one of the more climactic And that's supposed to take place before this, right? Correct, yeah. So, you know, you would have to have the whole facility built out of plastic and then some to be able to stop him from being able to do that, I would think. Yeah, that's I mean, just horrible for the environment. <laughs> it is. I mean, so I, I take it as maybe he's just biding his time. Mm-hmm. Why don't know? they just use non-magnetic metals? There's no such thing in the X-Men universe, Ryan. Yeah, apparently. That I mean, exist. they could have used brick. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> or wood. Right. Common building materials. <laughs> so, um. I something else I really want to critique because it it's more and more painfully obvious. Like we want to shit on the MCU for their lack of females and uh, diversity. But my God, Brian Singer hates women so much, so much. Like all of the female characters are completely nerfed. You know, you're looking at uh, there are four compared to, you know, seven or eight males. And Jean Grey can like close a door and pick up a syringe and that's it. And Storm can make some clouds here and there and rogue is very mousy she's and she never improves she never gets better right that's the thing like i could excuse her in this movie because she just discovered her power and is and is legitimately scared but that's not an excuse for anybody else or her later (laughs) right i'll say that like even when i watched this movie when it first came out i did not like anna paquina's robe and i never and i never have she was so bad and it it didn't ruin the movie for me but it really bothers me even to this day that that's who they picked and that's the way they went with rogue after seeing i knew rogue from the cartoon and she was awesome in the cartoon that's like the definitive rogue for me so yes having her in this was just like what the hell did they do to her i actually think all three of the female x-men in this are pretty miscast i think they could have done a better job at the time or at least given them a better script for sure oh they could have given it yeah. almost anybody with. in this movie a better script yeah. i mean yeah. it was the writing the, right, was the writing is very point. rough and yeah. then of course mystique only has one line as herself every other line that mystique says is as another actor yeah it's it's certainly problematic and you know you talk about the diversity too. And you know, it, it's part of a problem, I guess with the, the X-Men lineup, but they're all pretty much white people except for storm. Well, when Chris Claremont took over in the 1970s from Stan Lee, he fixed that right away. You know, he brought in uh, various people of all kinds of backgrounds and it just, it never made it to the movie. Some of the really cool characters just, I think, you know, two or three of them appear in days of future past in the future Mm storyline, which I thought that cast was way more interesting than bringing back all the old people. That's just me. So I'll disagree with you a little bit, Rachel, and say that uh, 
for well, me. Well, you don't like Days of Future Past. Well, no, no, no. I'm not. Go- I'm not talking about Days of Future Past. Oh, okay. I'm more talking about the female characters. I don't didn't like the way they were really handled. But I'll say that as far as the casting goes for not just the female characters, but a lot of the male characters, like these are the definitive version of those characters for me, like Jean Grey. I thought that casting was really, really good. And you're right about the writing for sure. The writing was not great, but I really liked, I don't know her name, but uh, as Famka Jansen, Famka, that's who it is. Yeah. Um, she was great. I, I thought she was wonderful as Jean Grey. Um, Halle Berry, I can definitely understand a lot of the complaints, but I don't think it was a problem with her casting necessarily so much as it was uh, the writing. I mean, the toad line, I still make fun of to this day. Um, you know, Wolverine, obviously we all love uh, yeah. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Um, we, I, I hate what they did with Cyclops in this whole trilogy in general, but um, they had the right guy for it. He was really good. Yes. and He could have he been a lot more and he should have been. He's my favorite X-Men, always has been. And so, yeah, they did not treat him well, but um, that's yeah. why I, I actually think that maybe the casting isn't the problem. That maybe even Anna Paquin would have been good given the right script and the right director, because most of these actors are good actors in other roles and can pull things off. But the writing in this is incredibly clunky. It's awkward a lot more than it should be, and the action sequences are very stiff yeah. and 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 cut not not particularly sophisticated i mean i know you know, it had a pretty decent budget and i know they had to build some sets you know but it's it's just a rough movie overall and i'm not sure that the cast themselves are really to blame i think i do think that a lot of the bad action scenes are more are, are a lot to blame because of the suits because like if you watch the the scene with like for example we talked about the uh mystique and wolverine fight um, you can see how hard it was to move in those suits. I mean, it, they could barely do anything. And so, I, I mean, and the, and the suits weren't really that great looking, to be honest with you. I mean, no. I don't know how you guys feel about them. I thought they were cool back then, but looking back on them now, they are rough. And clearly the costume designers were going for aesthetics over function. So the, I'm sure the actors hated being in those suits. Uh, well, and it looked like they hated being in them when they were fighting in them. And then Cyclops has the line that's supposed to be a joke, you know, talking about, you know, what, what did you, did you expect, you know, yellow spandex? And the line is written to be a joke, making fun of the yellow spandex, but I'd rather see the yellow spandex yeah. than what we got here. I mean, the, well, the first compare, class costumes are better. That's what oh, I was going to sure. say. Yeah. When you compare these to the first class blue and yellow, uh, of course the blue and yellow look brighter and uh slightly more 60s cheese however the actors are clearly more comfortable than they Mm -hmm. are in these and look at the end of the day they're supposed to be heroes so Mm -hmm. having them be bright and colorful is kind of our thing you know the in the united states comic book heroes tend to be bright and colorful with few exceptions like batman and even he used to be more colorful that's true (laughs) You know, um, so like to take these characters who were all incredibly colorful, even like they themselves outside of the costumes were colorful people. They all get toned down to everything is black leather and metal gray everywhere or caves. They have um, colored stitching. Okay, there. <laughs> like one of them has yellow stitches. One of them has blue stitches. 
That was my favorite part of X-Men The Last Stand. That movie is not great. Don't get me wrong. And Brett Ratner is almost as equally horrible as Brian Singer as a real person. But the color on the movie was finally bright. It was daytime at one point and you could see it wasn't, there wasn't this horrible sepia filter over things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just, it was trying to be dark and gritty with a group of characters that just don't need to be. Well, because they already are going through discrimination issues. You deal with death on a regular basis. You don't have to have a, literal gritty tone to your film but also deal with gritty situations you know you don't have to do both Mm -hmm. it's not confusing we're smart enough viewers to understand (laughs) yeah and i think the movie just from a palette perspective like can you imagine if beast was in it just having some bright blue character you know like it just he like that might be why he's not in it because it just wouldn't have looked right in this movie at all well, I mean, we did have Mystique, who was bright blue. Well, darker, kind well, of a darker blue, but still. And she's barely in it. That's true. She's very muted, too. She like does her... look better in this movie, though. Like, the better, way better than the other uh, First Class trilogy. I hated the way that she looked in the, with, where, well, the first, I guess First Class wasn't so bad. Right. Uh, anytime they were using, like, practical prosthetics for the majority of things, it looked great. And she could move really well in that. Like it it didn't seem like she was hampered by anything, which she wasn't because she was naked, I guess. But um, (laughs) compared to like Jennifer Lawrence in the last X-Men movie that we got, um, you know, it's just, that was like poorly done makeup and there was no prosthetics. I don't know how they're even supposed to be the same character. Well, because I mean, that's that's on the actor, right? Because Jennifer Lawrence, I think in first class did look good because they, they, really went all in on it but she basically refused to do that again and so they scaled it back with with each film after that to where it's basically just her head and hands i know that but it still sucks <laughs> like That's this fair. this one rebecca I, romaine, rebecca romaine looked better than jennifer lawrence ever did in my opinion as mystique i'm not gonna well, completely argue because i really like rebecca romaine so yeah she's absolutely <laughs> wonderful uh, but she also didn't have a huge allergic reaction, and Jennifer Lawrence did. So did she? I did not. Yeah, probably that. other makeups that they could have used to fix that problem. I mean, it's Hollywood, and they have hundred and some million dollar. No, budgets. you're totally right. They probably could have fo- found something else, but she also could have like put it in her writer and. Sure, and they should have. That's on her agent and everybody else. But like, yeah, yeah it's from the viewer perspective not knowing the entire backstory, you know, it's right. I think Rebecca Romaine looked the best. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's important. Sorry. No, I was just going to say like my, one of my least favorite parts of X. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland four by E or summit four by E. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Three is the fact that they got rid of her powers within the first 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hated that. Well, and they also killed Cyclops in the first like five minutes. Yeah. Off screen. Off screen. Uh, but that point about Jennifer Lawrence, I think, is is all, is important because I didn't know there was an allergic reaction. I had heard that she just didn't have the patience to sit around for like the six hours it took to apply all the makeup. And um, I, I, you know, being a sci-fi fan, I don't really feel that bad for an actor who's getting paid that kind of money. But if she has an allergic reaction, that's a completely reasonable concern, you know, because um, money can't protect you from that necessarily so um that's an important thing to know i think it's important that people are aware of those things um we should talk about the stronger scenes in the movies the ones that actually did hold up and were good i think were there any of those for you guys so the train station uh has some really great moments in it but in particular i love what happens outside the train station when magneto and company are trying to leave and uh xavier's in the car um, I think it still looks really good because uh, it's mostly practical um, and it's, an, it's a great dynamic. It helps show the respect that both Magneto and X have for each other, but the power that they both have and even showing that maybe Magneto is actually more powerful than Professor X, especially in circumstances like this. Uh, so I, I think it's a great scene. Rachel, did you have any scenes that really stood out to you? Oh, boy. I'm going to guess that's a no, because uh, if you have to search that far. Yeah, it's just really frustrating. I I noticed a lot of, like, small things they didn't tie up, which is frustrating. Like, you know, uh, Cyclops loses his visor in that train station scene, and... Um, Storm, you know, sets uh, Sabretooth with a lightning bolt. So, like, how did they get back? They were both pretty incapacitated. You know, they did. Did Professor X wheel in there and drag their bodies into the car, or like, probably? What happened? I'm assuming yeah, that's I mean, happened. yeah, that's the most likely scenario. Yeah, uh, um, I adore Professor X and his monologue at the beginning. I know it's very small, but it's still incredibly effective. And just sitting there, I was still, you know, just completely in awe. And I was like, oh, you're right. I want superpowers. I want you to be my (laughs) fictional teacher dad. Like, could this happen? So I, I think that is probably a very strong point for the film. It's a great way to open it. Just... You give some exposition, but you do it with Patrick Stewart's voice and it comforts you and it excites you and you're ready. For me, I think the the, the Holocaust intro mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I mean, I, that's one of the parts I remember really well seeing it as a, as a younger man. Um, you know, I, it, it was very impactful to watch. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's definitely, for me, one of the stronger scenes. I, it, it might be a little insensitive. I don't know. It, 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 trying to, like, tie mutants into something that's very, very serious in history. Um, but I don't but think I, it's I, insensitive. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I mean, it's not something, I mean, I obviously care about the Holocaust, but I'm not Jewish or in any of the groups that uh, were, you know, no. had terrible things done to them in that, so. But, so, so my, my family is Jewish, and I'm, I'm not speaking for all of the, the Jewish people in the world or anything, but um, I, I think that it's a powerful scene, because to, to a point later, like, a lot of mutants realize their powers in times of extreme emotional stress. Right. And, you know, the, what little Magneto has to go through has got to be one of the most stressful things possible for a kid. Um, and the, the ages worked out pretty well, you know, for, for these versions of the characters. And some of that gets tied back in to, to later films about like experimentation and things of that nature. I think it fits the tone of these movies. Would it have fit? Any other version of the X-Men? Maybe not, but I think it works well here. That's fair. I agree with that completely. Um, First of all, like Holocaust stuff hits a lot harder now as an adult. As a kid, you hear about how amazing America was and how we saved the rest of the world from World War II and the Nazis. And, you know, you realize as an adult that that's not necessarily true. It's very sanitized and literal horrors happen to these people so just that one scene is very effective and uh, if you consider that um, apocalypse was the quote-unquote first mutant all back in ancient egypt then you have to figure all the horrible things that happened in American and world history also triggered mutants. Slavery would have done it. The Trail of Tears would have done it. Uh, Japanese internment camps after Pearl Harbor would have done it uh, just here in America. So Mm -hmm. uh, we would get other tragic stories out of it. It's true. And I, if I, I remember right, isn't that his like that is in the comic books like when he realizes his power too, isn't it? Yeah, that's, but that wasn't just like made up for this movie. No, that's probably why it felt so genuine mm-hmm. to me. Also, I mean, as I think it because it came from something that somebody else wrote, and the writers didn't didn't have to make that. You know, it didn't feel like it was forced. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the I other mean, scene that I really like is the the one you mentioned, Eric, is with the guns outside when like when they're outside the train station and the guns all turn on the guys and you see Sabretooth crap. That was really good dynamic between the two, uh, Xavier and, and uh, Magneto. Although the the it kind of got ruined by the bullet coming out of the gun and then like just sticking into the guy's head. It's just like, dude, just just move your head. Magneto right? doesn't have control of your head. Just like go this way. I know. It's all I, know. I could think of the whole time, but it was yeah. good up until that point. Yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> um, this movie in particular, I think, m- might even hit a little different today because of the message that it's trying to, to say, right? Like, it's not a great movie. It's got a lot of problems with it. But the underlying point that the X-Men you know, franchise is trying to make is still very relevant. And here in particular, I mean, you're, the entire plot is 
government officials trying to pass legislation to essentially make a group of people illegal. They right? wanted to create a blacklist, a registry. Yeah. yeah. And this is something that governments have done in the past and our government Probably has will done do in the future. And right. And people are still trying to do today to people who can't walk through walls and go into a bank vault, you know? Um, and maybe the allegory is missed by some people because it's just too complicated for them. But, you know, that's really the whole point here is that these people are born who they are. Right. And you can't just make people illegal for being born who they are. Right. Um, preemptive of them doing anything that is remotely bad. Uh, that's the whole point. And Magneto's plan you know, if you if you believe that he really didn't think they were going to die, and by the time he found out, you know, he was just too far gone. The underlying plan is interesting. You know, well, you wouldn't legislate this if you were the same. So mm -hmm. I'll just make everybody the same. It's a very interesting idea, and I think that it could be revisited in a better version of this movie. I do think that. Uh that's something they did really well is Magneto is not like a mustache twirling villain. Right. And he, he really, I mean, I'd have to go back and rewatch him. I don't think he is in any of the other movies either. He does no, some he... shitty stuff, but he's doing it for a good reason. I mean, he, he and Xavier have the same end goal. Well, I think to Stan an extent. Lee said he based Magneto off of Malcolm X and Xavier off of his perspective of Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, I always thought that was an interesting bit of trivia behind it. Sad that he didn't make them black men, but, you know, different point altogether. Well, I mean, maybe he just thought that he couldn't get it published back then. It's very likely. Honestly, it's very likely he didn't even worry about that because of situations similar to that because of you know the 60s racism but i don't understand how people can be so obsessed with the x-men and not understand that the entire comic book has been and always will be about discrimination it's about the little guys it's about any marginalized group just trying to live their life in peace and not have be forced to experience different and violent situations. Yeah. I'll never understand those types of fan bases. You know, I'm, the three of us have talked about this many times, you know, the star Trek community has a lot of racist people in it. And I just don't understand how you can miss the point of star Trek that much. Um, it's just beyond me, but I guess people like the bright colors and flashing lights. <laughs> Um, so as we, uh, approach our, our normal time here, what are some other aspects of the film that you would like to touch on? Is there anything else that stands out to you? I think they could have done a bit more to be completely honest. I think there was a lot of room for not even like just Easter eggs, but just alluding to a much bigger world out there if you have people protesting uh 
any legislation, you can have people protest on the other side and have them be the purifiers who are based off of the Westboro Baptist Church. And uh, obviously they're a mutant hating group. If we ever see the new Mutants movie, uh, <laughs> Maisie Williams' character, Ronnie Sinclair, is the daughter of the leader of the Purifiers. And she's, of course, a mutant. And her dad has her committed because she's a very intense mutant. Uh, you could have had uh, references to the Hellfire Club because they're incredibly powerful mutants that have been running this secret society for hundreds and hundreds of years so uh and then just the students in the background could have been recognizable but also ones that you know you're not that interested in and the fact that we got three different kitty prize over three movies just seems so silly like when well, jubilee was in this one too for a second mm -hmm. and then uh pyro but then they changed the actor for pyro in the next movie so it's like yep. okay and we do weird. like we see a lot of kids but we see so so little power right you've got ice fire and walk through walls that's it and then the teleporting kid playing basketball oh, sorry yep mm -hmm. yeah you get a ton of just oh and there's the kid little... who runs on water yeah. right <laughs> i forgot about that just a lot of little white kids running around <laughs> doing nothing like they're sure. not it for, there's the diversity issues like why aren't your extras mixed in a bit yeah. more mm -hmm. did you guys find the relationship between wolverine and rogue like kind of awkward at all i felt like there was some i don't know yes. there was a weird like rogue i don't i think rogue seemed to have a crush on him or so there was like a weird dynamic there well, where I, I didn't really know what was going on fully in the comics, it's Jubilee that Wolverine has a father-daughter or big brother, little sister bond with. And here it's obviously Rogue instead, since they still don't do much with Jubilee throughout the entire series. Uh, but it, to me, it came off like they progressed a little faster of a relationship than I would have. I'm not quite, I could easily develop a crush on Hugh Jackman after three days, but I'm not quite <laughs> sure that we would have been like besties after one car ride and him stabbing me through the chest. I, I took it as she's a kid who's feeling incredibly alone and scared. And this is somebody who can relate to her that doesn't fear her, but at the same time, understand somewhat what she's going through you know she's still a kid i mean what is she 17 yeah Six, you know 16 16 17 you know um but... really didn't seem like they took any of her demographics <laughs> she yeah. just jumped into class right um so okay so here's a question we got in chat that i, I just want your opinions on how do you want the X-Men handled now in the movies? Uh, 20th Century Fox, of course, is part of Disney. So these characters could be used in the MCU. What would you want to see, if anything, from future big screen X-Men? Oh, my goodness. I would... If, when they start over, they're obviously going to start over... And they're obviously going to integrate it with some of the heroes currently in the MCU. I, 
I just don't want them to follow the same path. Like it doesn't have to be Magneto as the first big bad. I honestly think having Mystique and her various brotherhood with Blob and uh, Avalanche would be really cool or uh, potentially going after some of the other groups that I mentioned, the Purifiers, the Hellfire Club, the, um, uh, the government, again, would be good. I, I don't think necessarily that Magneto needs to be the, the first big bad, to be honest. I think we've seen that a lot, and we all know how it's going to end. They're just going to end up playing chess and me secretly wanting them to kiss <laughs> ryan what about you i mean it's it's kind of mixed for me i mean obviously they're gonna do it but we've had what like is a, it's seven x-men movies at this point right uh is that well it depends are you counting all the wolverine movies and deadpool well that's true even more there no i'm, I'm counting like the ones that are named x-men oh god there's six it's seven right? seven there's seven because seven, there's yeah. Two trilogies last, plus yeah. the Dark Phoenix. Yeah, seven. Yeah, there's one trilogy and a quadrilogy, and then there's yeah. two Deadpool and three Wolverine. Like I don't know, I'm just like I've seen so many incarnations of all these characters at this point. Uh, I'm just a little burned out on it, you know. Um, if they ha- if, if they're obviously going to reintroduce them, and I'd like. X-Men completely and just go for uh, some of the more lesser known X-Men characters um, that we haven't really seen a ton of on screen. I mean, as much as I love Cyclops and Jean Grey, you know, I've seen several different incarnations and, uh, you know, I'd like to give some of the lesser known X-Men a chance, but, you know, we'll see what what we see. I I hope they seamlessly integrate them into the MCU. without like having to really you know upheave everything mm-hmm. yeah see I, i'm on the side that i i know they're going to but i wish they wouldn't bring them into the mcu and just produce their own thing i think it's just a lot of characters to deal with and there's just no way to make everybody happy with that many characters um especially with just th- the same groups of people running that show i think getting people in charge of the x-men is important but they can be in their own universe. They don't have to tie into this. It can be a separate story. I think, unfortunately, the easiest route to go is Wolverine, just like Spider-Man, because Wolverine has been a part of so many individual teams. They've had him be such a nomad that, you know, you could have a Wolverine and Hulk movie. You could have uh Wolverine go back to Canada and then they can introduce things like Alpha Flight who we've never gotten to see or uh, Excalibur in Great Britain and we we could see new characters that way but Wolverine would be like our vehicle to that fair enough well I think we are at a good stopping point then unless there's anything else my friends yeah no, oh, I think I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think I'm good. I'm good. I think I talked about everything I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Well, then that's going to be it for us. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh wait, I'm sorry. I have a question for you guys. Okay. So um, knowing that Brian Singer is a piece of trash, um, does that taint the movie at all for you guys going back? Um, I mean, those things never help the movie. That's for damn sure. Um, 
I wouldn't like the movie's so old at this point that I just don't care about it that much. Like the movie, I don't care about the movie that much, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I don't want to see anything else he does. I don't want to watch another Brian Singer movie, but I don't, I don't think I care enough about the X-Men movies to like watch them on my own. I watch them for this. Got it. Okay. For a lot of circumstances for me, it's, for, it seems like it's easier for movie directors for me to separate the artist from the art. And, um, you know, like with the Michael Jackson stuff, it's harder for me for whatever reason. It's Maybe that's stupid. But with this, Brian Singer is, as far as I can tell when I watch the movie, not a part of it. You know, I know that he's the director and everything, but I don't see him on screen or um, have any kind of relationship formed with him. So it's I guess it's easier for me to separate the artist and the art. And uh, in this case... I don't love it, right? Like I know my my logical brain knows that this happened, and I think that that's uh, you know it's, he is a piece of shit and did a lot of bad things and still continues to do bad things. But um, just taking the movie on its own, it's not really tainted for me. I don't Got know it. if that's the right answer or not, but I was it's just a, asking. It's a difficult situation because there are you know some some of the more modern movies. There's two thousand people that touch these movies at some point during development and production. And there's no way they're all good people. Um, I just, you know, maybe I'm pessimistic, you know, but I just have a hard time believing that they're all decent human beings. Um, And, you know, it's, it is certainly harder to watch the lead of a movie uh, who is a a known bad person uh, for a number of reasons, you know? Uh, So when it's a, a producer or a director or an editor or something like that, it's a lot easier to just push that aside while you're watching it. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not good. You know, I don't know where that line, that line is, right. You know, where, where, where is a person's job insignificant enough on a movie where it's okay? I I don't know. I don't think it's ever really okay. Well, no, I mean, I mean, it's like, okay to watch the movie. You know what I mean? Like for, for me, I, I know I don't want to ever watch a Mel Gibson movie ever again. And that's for year from years and years ago, not this more recent thing that just helps solidify it. Right. I never want to watch a Mel Gibson movie ever again. He sometimes directs movies, sometimes stars in the movies either way. But you know, if somebody was just like that, the exact same caliber of person, you know, but was completely behind the scenes as a writer or a light guy or something like that. Like at what point should that bother me? I don't know. It's a different Right. And like, you know, then or do you not watch that movie? And then the 2000 people that worked on the movie that were, you know, not pieces of shit, then they're punished because you're not going to see it because of this one piece of shit. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot to think about when it comes to this stuff. And I don't think there's a right answer. It's just a tough situation all around. I don't either. I take it case by case, person by person. You know, it was super easy for me to just write off Katy Perry after all of her shenanigans and stop listening to her music since I didn't really do it beforehand. But, you know, if people like Michael Jackson and um, Brian Singer have had their hand in so many other aspects of pop culture in my life that it's not always easy but i i can say for myself that this movie did feel a little weird um watching it again i was i was not happy (laughs) that's fair well, that's, that's a fun note to end on this week. I know. <laughs> we're, we're sending you into your week with positivity. 
Um, so what, what are we talking about next week? Do we have a topic for next week? Yeah. We're talking about the DCEU. We're going to pretty much defend it because I know all of us have become bigger and bigger fans and, uh, wait, does this mean you have to pretend to like Man of Steel? (laughs) So wait, so, so the topic, uh, the topic is the work what it's it's the dceu the good with the bad basically the dc version of the marvel thing that we've done yes okay okay because we've never done that okay we have not this is going to be our first time with the dceu and i figure it's a good time because there's you know more movies now so so to get an idea of what that episode might be like you could listen to our 200th episode or our very first episode where we did the Marvel version of this. Um, so first, I just want to thank everybody who joined us in chat this week in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash screen heroes. Uh, we do this live Tuesday nights at uh, 8 p.m. Central and several people joined us in chat tonight. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Please join us if you haven't before or do it again. Um, Ryan, how can people get a hold of you and talk to you out in the I'm world? i this chat. Because I don't want to talk to you otherwise. No, I'm just kidding. You can uh, you can find me on Twitter and a couple different places. At Buster Props is one of them. Uh, I'm on. We're on Facebook and everything else too. So come check us out. And Ray, I'm at Siren Ray. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. And I'm at the Star Trek dude. You can also find me on Gamer Heroes, the video game podcast here on the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, we're been, we've been doing some cool stuff. I had Ryan on to talk Fallout 76. This week's episode was the Halo franchise. Next week is Resident Evil. I'm going to have Ray on soon to talk about some stuff as well. So yeah, so go check that out. And we, of course, are Screen Heroes at Screen Heroes Pod on Twitter. You can find us at heroespodcast.com. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, let us know. We will read your review live on the show. We would appreciate any support that you can give. We're also on Spotify, Spreaker, and other podcast apps. Thank you for joining us. We will catch you next week. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.